Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Evolution of a Snake. I'm Zach. And I'm Madeline. And this is 2012 Part 2. So this is going to be a monstrous year for us to get into just because Taylor was running around doing everything all the time. Yeah, this is, I think Part 2 is going to be, when I was reading the outline, I think it's going to be even even more even more of a beast to tackle than part one was because in this one we actually get to go through the album and red is such a long fucking album to get into there's so much material and like and we have such differing opinions on <laughs> this topic what's good about this is that we're not doing this in like 2016 because i feel like we would have been even fucking crazier about it but now i feel like my red opinions are not so mean i don't know yeah exactly <laughs> I've definitely like grown out of a couple of my really meaner ones. So I, it should be, it should be okay. It should be fine. Also, we'd like to remind everyone to stay quarantined, do your part for society and don't be an asshole. Right, so we, in 2012 part one, we left off with the monster selling iconic hit single, never been done before. We are never ever getting back together. So on August 30th, 2012, we get the music video for We Are Never, and that is released on CMT and MTV, and it's directed by Declan Whitebloom, who also directed Mean and Ours, which are both questionable visuals. I have to say neither, none of these make it into my top five or 10 of videos that I like of Taylor's. Um, And what was cool about this video is that it was a one shot, one take thing, uh, which means that she's barely fucking in the video. <laughs> really, like, she's not in it. <laughs> yeah. We're, like, watching Grant Michelson yep. jump around in a squirrel costume most of the time. Yeah, which is things we never asked for happened mm-hmm. in that video. I, like, definitely things that we never wanted. I didn't want... Never asked and there for. And were, there, the only serve that I can remember from that video is when she's in that, like, red polka dot top and she's sitting there on the phone. That was kind of a serve. Yeah, when she slams the phone, um, that was a serve. and actually it's funny because whenever i think about the we are never ever getting back together music video that is what sticks out in my mind that and the squirrel pajamas she also sold those damn squirrel pajamas for like 200 dollars on the store and some people bought them this was my peak stupidity as a fan and i still didn't buy those well we couldn't afford it that's the thing we couldn't afford it i feel like if we could have afforded it we would have (laughs) so so i guess we could talk a little bit about the response that the fans had to We Are Never and fear of the album. So what did you think when you first heard the song, Madeline? Um, you know, the thing about the We Are Never Getting Back Together was that there was kind of like no warning that this is what she was going to be fucking doing. Uh, <laughs> no even, warning. Even, yeah, none. Like, even in the live chat, I don't remember her being like, this is going to be something a little bit different. She was just like, here you fucking go. Here it is. So you can imagine that, of course, there was a lot of mental breakdown. I mean, I was like, mm-hmm. what the fuck is she doing? Especially coming off of the heels of Speak Now. I remember we were all really going up to the live stream thinking that we were going to get something like haunted. I don't know why we came up with that. We always come up with something crazy and wrong, but like that's what it was. And didn't we think it was going to be like called Kisses Were Wishes? Yeah, yeah, the the single was If Kisses Were Wishes. If Kisses Were Wishes. (laughs) That was the name of the single according to a source. Um, (laughs) And... And yet we thought it was going to like be a serve, even though it was if kisses were wishes. <laughs> it's going to be the serve of all the serves. I mean, I'm glad that that wasn't the song. And I would hedge my bets to say that that song doesn't exist. No, 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 no. Totally made up. It sounds like something that somebody who's trying to make up a Taylor Swift song would make up. 
You know what I mean? Yeah, from like 2009, if that was all the material that you had to go off of. People were a little bit scared of the album. I think the main concern was that she was going to go full pop, which we were not ready for at this time. At this moment, we were still twanging our banjos and chewing tobacco, and we wanted Taylor to just, you know, strum her banjo and cry on the album and she, you know she did she did ultimately but that was that that this that was not <laughs> what we, i can't even i was like i can't even emote like what i thought about we were never getting back together at the time because i i won't say that i i mean i tried to listen to it <laughs> but I, <laughs> I didn't like it i was like this is shit this whole thing shit and it was only made worse by the fact that i think the next tidbit we got about the album was that there was a dubstep song on it i was like well this album is absolutely going to the fucking dogs <laughs> that's really what i thought um i think yeah that goes back to one of like the main things that i loved about red is that i feel like we were constantly surprised like the single releases and the pre-track releases were so smart like the way that she gave us a full taste of what the album was going to be like. I mean, it was a nail biter, really, from week to week. Yeah, that's very true. So on September 6th, we go to the hallowed stomping ground, the Video Music Awards. So Taylor performs, we are never ever getting back together in a striped shirt, and she wears sunglasses, and we're starting to get cool Taylor. She wears shorts, which everybody freaks the fuck out about, those stupid high-waisted shorts that she wore the entire era that we all hated. And you know, the thing about those shorts is like, I a hundred thousand fucking percent hated those shorts the entire time. But looking back on it now, I, I, I sort of have this fondness for the shorts because they did fit the era. I couldn't appreciate it at mm -hmm. the time, but they really do work with the record. Yes, they make sense. But I think we just got tired of her wearing them with every fucking outfit. There was never like an interesting pair of high-waisted shorts. They were black, high-waisted shorts every fucking time. Spandex looking. Yeah. What was up with that? I think she did leather one time and it looked really bad. Oh, I know what you're talking about. I know what you're talking about. I, I can imagine it in my head and it did look like shit. It was just camel toe for days. <laughs> it looked so bad. <laughs> I mean, what can we do? We're here to be served and sometimes we don't get served. She wears a white pantsuit on the red carpet with the blowout, the bangs are in peak form and I think this was a serve and that serve, that serve is confirmed because she took a picture with Taylor Lautner. <laughs> yep, he was our king. He came back briefly. <laughs> I think this might be the last time that he comes back, which is really depressing to me because she kept that one going for like three years. And One Direction also performs at this show, which is interesting. In hindsight, it's very interesting. So on September 8, 2012, we're still in the dark about what's happening with the album. We have nothing else. But the next thing that we get is Ronin, which is released to iTunes. And the backstory behind that is that Taylor was reading a woman called Maya Thompson's blog, Rockstar Ronin, which she wrote about the death of her child. Um, and after meeting them backstage on the Speak Now tour, she wrote a song based off of the blog entries that she had read. And she credited Maya as a co-writer. And she performs this song on the Stand Up to Cancer telethon. And there is a candid of her crying as her mom walks out of the venue. And I think that this is the only known image before Miss Americana of her actually in tears. It was very powerful at the time because uh, it was just so surprising because I, I don't think any of us had ever seen her like be, I'm going to say something and I don't mean this the way that it sounds, but like normally like in performance and like in the public eye, she's very like, um she has her not a mask but you know like she has herself together this is the first time I think that we ever saw her like totally 
just like step out of the like you know step out of that the character step out of the character you know kind of in a way and just like be really 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 authentic in a way that it was almost like I don't I like I shouldn't be looking at this you know what I mean exactly you feel like you're not entitled to see those pictures which is how I felt when I saw those photos of her in the car when she looked really sad or that time after Jake broke up with her when she was walking around like just really looking like she was going through it it does feel a little perverse to look at those photos it's like the video it's like the fucking call it what you want video I fucking hate that video when she's drinking wine and playing it for Joe and he's filming like I should not be seeing this I don't want to see this this is too it's not my business yeah it's not my fucking business and it's so weird that she's cultivated that kind of like uh because other fandoms don't do shit like that they're like we want to see everything it's like i kind of (laughs) don't she's definitely trained us in that way yeah there's some stuff i don't want to see yeah and we're also pretty good at self-policing when stuff like that comes out as in i don't think people are super there's a couple of exceptions and i'll name them (laughs) there are a couple of exceptions to many rules one of which being the rule yes zach zach (laughs) this is like your favorite fucking thing it's my favorite topic, rule discourse. I live for it. Um, so what did you think about the song, Ronan? It's one of those songs that, I mean, obviously it's, it's lyrically really good. Um, I can honestly say that I've listened to that song probably a grand total of 10 times in the, what, eight years that it's been out. It's just like not something that, I don't even think I have it on my phone. Uh, like to listen to it. It's a hard song to come back to. Like it's not a song you can just listen to casually. It's very upsetting, obviously. Definitely deserved, well deserved. So on September 12th, Taylor acquiesces to the multiple please come to Brazil tweets and actually goes to Brazil. Um, This is her one and only trip to Latin America, I believe, to do promo. She does a short concert, uh, including a bizarre duet of Long Live with a local Latin artist. I remember that. I remember that. It was completely out of left field. (laughs) And for what is my question? Like, what was that for? Yeah, like why that? I know of all the songs, like the most diaristic and personal one to translate to Spanish, she picks Long Live. (laughs) I have no answers yet. It's baffling. baffling. Taylor Nation, what is you doing, baby? So September 22nd, and I think this is what really got me excited for the era. It was her first iHeartRadio festival performance. She wears a bowler hat for the first time, and she walks all the way through the crowd during Sparks Fly, which is something she could never do now. Um, And there's the whole, this is where the the short discourse starts happening, um, and she performs We Are Never, kind of for the first time outside of an award show setting. And she gets a bunch of fans on stage to dance. And it really, it's weird. Like they're locals. <laughs> they're not stands. They're just kind of like, why am I up here? And who is that girl singing? Yeah, who is that? <laughs> What's she doing? Um, so she, her, I will say her vocals, not her best, not her best, but her hair was a serve. She looked really good. She did look good. I really liked her top. Yes, the top was amazing. The bottom, we'll get to later, (laughs) but the top was a serve. I mean, you know what? It was a fine performance to me and something I remember very, very clearly. A lot of people use that performance to compare her vocals today as compared to now because it was it was kind of that bad it was a little shouty and i think she was just familiarizing herself with like being a pop star and also singing well at the same time yeah she gotten very comfortable with sitting her ass down and playing her guitar (laughs) so she had to learn how to move 
<laughs> on September 24th, this is when the album rollout starts happening. And I wish we could go back to these organized times when we knew exactly what was coming, when it was coming, what to expect, when to stream, when to download. She goes on Good Morning America and announces her most iconic pre-release strategy to preview songs uh, on a certain day and then release them the next day at midnight until Red comes out. So we get like 30 second random clips of the song to drum us up. And then at midnight that day, we can download the song. And the first thing that we get a clip of is Begin Again. How did you feel, Madeline? Uh, the clip from Begin Again was, um, you know, obviously coming off the heels of we're never ever getting back together. I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> oh, thank you, Jesus. This is it's like there's going to be some like material on this album. So I, I remember being pretty pleased with what I heard. Um, I was a fan of the, of the preview and speaking of just like the whole fucking thing, I miss this shit so much. You know what I would give to have a 30 second preview of a song and then get the song the next fucking day. Just a preparation, a warning instead of an assault. <laughs> like, I would give anything to go back to these days. A hundred percent. She fed us so well in this release. Every week there was something to look forward to. It wasn't just like a black mass of nothing. And then all of a sudden the album comes out. I think at this point she knew that we were feeling a little sensitive about being led in a completely different direction. So she wanted to give us a taste and let us know so that we would get out and buy our million copies that we were going to be okay. We were going to get served some classic Taylor Fair, which we did. September 25th, Begin Again is released. We don't know that it's the second single at this point, but we get the full thing and we start to get these little clips of her explaining the songs as well. She says that Begin Again is about when you've gotten through a really bad relationship and you finally dust yourself off and go on that first date after a horrible breakup and the vulnerability that goes along with that. We can link this moment back to her date with that guy, Will, from Parachute. And they're walking around, drinking coffees, having a good time. And she was coming out of hiding after the Jake Gyllenhaal breakup. I subscribe to that theory that this is what that song's about. Oh, 100%. I mean, I've never even, I've never thought it was about something else. We were always just like, yeah, it's about that completely random asshole from that completely random band, Parachute. And it's like amazing to me that, that somebody's so random we could even put those pieces together, but we're insane. <laughs> we did. And at this point, we really were CIA detectives. Like we found out everything always, all the time. And you know what? She gave us enough information to connect the dots. It's sort of surprising to me that she ever let us get away with what we got away with. And don't let us forget that Will, this guy from Parachute, was one of the attendees of her star-studded birthday bash. Yes, who could forget such a huge Hollywood moment. The song receives critical acclaim. Obviously, the girlies go wild, the critics are obsessed, they praise the songwriting, it immediately goes number one on iTunes, and it is the first song to dethrone Gangnam Style. Thank you, Taylor. <laughs> That's a really funny detail. I, I like that when I read it. I was like, Haha. It was just a different time back then, really thinking. This was like the Call Me Maybe, yep. Gangnam Style, virality moment in music. So it debuts at number seven with no promo, clocking our second top 10 in two weeks. And it is produced by the man, the myth, the legend, Nathan Chapman and Dan Huff, who also produced Red and Starlight, which is weird because I feel like those three songs have almost nothing in common. It's very bizarre. On October 1st, Begin Again is released as the official second single from Red. And she goes to Paris to see the Ellie Saab show, which is a huge Easter egg because she wore nothing but Ellie Saab for like two years. And you know what? I want her to go back to that because those dresses 
were serves. Sparkly, regal ball gown serves. Yeah, they were always fucking serves. She always looked good in Ellie Saab. I remember you were particularly into that on Tumblr. Oh my God, I loved it. Like all of my like big, like, <laughs> you know, when I would do my Tumblr layouts and I would like put little pictures on the side, like it was mm-hmm. always her and Ellie Saab. <laughs> like every fucking time. <laughs> always. It's your aesthetic, like glitter, sparkles, happiness. So when she's in Paris, she also films the video for Begin Again and we get these incredible candidates of her looking iconic on a bike. And I just remember those candidates being all over the fucking Tumblr dashboard for like seven months. I still see them. I still see them to this day. Well, they fit so well with that aesthetic that Tumblr was going for in that time too. Like the, the everybody even, yeah, exactly. P- everybody, even people who weren't Taylor Swift fans were like, we love this. Who is this girl? Little did they know. Um, so then while she's in Paris, the red snippet goes up on GMA. And I remember being, I actually remember being in class when the song came out. And I was kind of like, I, when I heard the preview, I was like, hmm, what is this about? And then when it came out, I felt like it was a really good mission statement for the album. It's definitely a flagship song. It took me a while to really become like a big fan of Red the Song. So when I first heard it, I was like, this is okay. I mean, it's good, but I was, I was no stan. I was no stan. Let's leave it at that. It has grown on me over the years, I will say. I really like this song now. And she described this song as the emotions involved with them, this relationship, were so intense to me. And you know, intense emotion is red. And boy, did we hear that sentence. Boy, do we hear it. And she had a point. You know what? I love the theme behind this album. It is right. It is definitely the the album that has the most solid theme. Because all of the songs, in my opinion, on the record, follow the theme. There's not, well, we can get into this when we actually go through the album. But like, for the most part, it's like the album is themed out. Every song seems to have its little place. You know what I mean? You can't say that for every single record. Not every single record can do that. You know, one one might say that all of those songs are Red. So Red comes out and she's the only writer on the song, which of course we were all worried about because we, we were just coming off of Speak Now where she wrote everything herself. So she strategically in her promo included three songs that were all solely written. So Red, she's the only writer and it's produced by Nathan Chapman, someone we're very familiar with. Um, And it gets mixed reviews from critics. They're kind of on the board about it, which, you know, we were too. Um, And it debuts at number six on the Hot 100. And a little fun fact that I found when I was doing my research, there's a studio date for when this song was recorded. And it was recorded on September 8th, 2011, which was in the middle of the Speak Now tour. And around that time, I believe in July or June, we figured out in our sleuthing that that's when she wrote Sad, Beautiful, Tragic. So interesting that those two songs came like two months apart excuse me that is really interesting (laughs) it is a juicy little tidbit isn't it the theme obviously came together organically it wasn't like a thing she went and revised after the album was done at lover it was something that came around as she was in the process then she's a busy girl two days later october 4th she is heading over to fun din and she goes on the jonathan ross show surprisingly hard to track down a video of but she is in full granny regalia it is that orange dress i have to say it wasn't my favorite there were hq candidates that went everywhere of her laughing and sitting it's literally just her sitting these images are like burned into my brain it's like i've seen them so many times this 
this is where we start to get the inklings that Taylor wants to be a Victoria's Secret fashion model. Because before it was all, I don't want to be like those other girls. I'm not like those other girls. I'm different. I'm quirky. I'm weird. I'm cool. And you know, that's okay. Everybody should do that. Be on the outside. But at this moment, she's starting to fall into the trap of, uh, you know, standardized beauty, which obviously none of us are free from. But it is interesting that she sets herself apart so intensely in this interview. She talks about feeling really insecure in the gym, on a treadmill, looking over and just feeling really ugly. I would feel pretty ugly if I was on a treadmill and I looked over and I saw Taylor Swift running next to me, to be honest. She looks like a model, especially at this point. She does. So it is weird that, you know, the those standards of beauty are so pervasive that she didn't think that she fit them. The other thing that I've always thought about this um, particular segment- She's also segment, badgered. Um, no, keep going. That it, it, it was like, she was really trying to set herself apart. She, it was one of those moments where I felt like she was trying to be relatable, like trying to be relatable still to that point. She didn't, and you know, she still was relatable, you know, during the red era. I think, yeah, mm -hmm. it was really 1989 that she sort of, yeah. the re the relatability factor sort of started to wane. So I guess, I guess my point was extent. that like, I think that she was just trying to be fucking relatable even though, I mean, here I am on the Jonathan Ross show in my in my granny couture and in my red lipstick, you know, uh, promoting my record, my record. <laughs> but also, I also feel ugly when I'm at the gym. It's like, I mean, I can't, I'm kind of like shitting on it. I mean, I did really like it at the time, but looking back on it, I'm just kind of like, Taylor, Shut up. Like, yeah, I mean, come on, you skinny bitch. <laughs> she did this a lot. She'd be like, I love burgers and chicken wings, and I go home to my cats, and I sit there, and I sit in my pajamas, and I watch SVU. It's like, yes, okay, but you also go to the Grammys in like a $400,000 dress and accept the highest accolade. And you have like a personal trainer. Yeah. So she's still in London, and October's October 5th and 6th, we have two interesting things happening. She performs We Are Never Ever Getting Back Together on The X Factor. I remember this as being a bad performance. Just, it was weird. The color lighting set was really off and she wore this like purple top. She didn't nail the vocals. It wasn't, it wasn't her best. And then she goes on to do a short set at the BBC Radio 1 Teen Awards where she performs Red for the first time. This I remember super clearly. We get the red electric guitar, which is such a serve. So iconic. This is the it's first a, time we it's see a it. Serve. It's a fucking serve. Um, I love that guitar. An absolute serve. It, it really, I, and at, what I liked the most about it was that like, it, it kind of felt to me like it was a tribute. It was, it was bringing in the new era, but also it was a tribute to the uh, iconic original silver sparkly guitar. It was like, okay, this is another sparkly guitar, but it's red. You're like, yeah. It's like, yeah. And on this day, we get a tweet from Harrison Styles saying, good morning, listening to, and you also, what, what? I don't think he knows how to spell. Good morning, listening to, and you might also like paper aeroplanes, and I do. That means nothing, but it also means everything. <laughs> it really does. There's so, it's, so, it's such a weird tweet. It like makes you like stop and be like, now what are you talking about, sir? <laughs> <laughs> what are you saying? I mean, here's the thing. This is back when celebrities uh, didn't realize that subtweeting each other would get a lot of attention. So we got, and they would tweet multiple times a day. So we would miss things all the time. 
So this is definitely a subtweet to Taylor 100%. and Taylor only. Paper airplanes. Paper airplanes. Does anyone know where that comes from? Mm, let's introduce you to 1989. Then on October 8th and 9th, Taylor previews I Knew You Were Trouble on Good Morning America. And can I just say, the pandemonium that ensued from that short, I think it was even a 15 second clip. It was right, it was like that moment before the drop and then it gives you like a second of the drop and cuts off. It was, it was traumatic. It was deeply traumatizing to me. I felt myself leaving my body. I was like, you fucking kidding me with this absolute garbaggio. (laughs) (laughs) We were all confused. I was like, what is this bitch doing? It doesn't make any fucking sense. And it was especially confusing when the, when the, song ultimately did come out and we were like we thought this was gonna be a dubstep song and all of a sudden there's like a guitar I, <laughs> it's it like, was, because like the, the fucking verses and the chorus sound completely it different. was so weird the song is a is it, it's such a weird so you can't preview a song like that i can't resent that yeah. one out of all of them i resent the i knew your trouble f- preview because you can't preview it the fact that we had to sit there for 24 hours with only that material to go off of i mean i was quaking i was quaking I was in my booth shaking it It's kind of, it's interesting to me that ultimately I Knew Your Trouble kind of is the most iconic, maybe it didn't chart as well as We Are Never Getting Back Together, but it's definitely the most iconic song from the record. It's, it was memed. It was memed. It was the viral goat meme. I mean, if you haven't seen it, don't watch it. I'm so sick of it. It's so boring. It was never funny to me. It was to the locals. (laughs) It was, and it was ultimately used against her, which is what I think I don't like about that. This this really went viral when people started attacking her for dating Harry Styles. So I think that's why it left a bitter taste in my mouth. After the song came out, and she said some bullshit. I can't remember like when the I knew your troubles about Harry Styles rumors started. It's not true. It doesn't work out. All I know is they did. And I feel like it was like pre-1989 when people really started saying it like long after Red even came out. And the reason that people started seeing it is because she won an award for it at the VMAs. And she was like, and he knows exactly who he is. And everyone was like, this bitch. Camera pans to Harry Styles. It was the camera pan. You're right. There was, it was orchestrated. It was puppeteered by the media to make us think that a song that she wrote before she even was dating him was about him. So on October 16th, keep in mind that while this uh, Harry Taylor thing is starting to ignite, Connor Kennedy and Taylor Swift are still technically together. Oh shit, I forgot he existed. We get rumors of Taylor buying a house in uh, Cape Cod. Her publicist at the time denies these claims to Us Weekly, but Ethel Kennedy accidentally spills some tea because in an interview she says um, that she's very excited to be neighbors with Taylor. So that makes me think that this actually did happen and Taylor just sold it off once it 
didn't work out. And I do remember, this is like back in my real sleuthing days, there was a shell company that bought a home really close to the Kennedy compound. And the shell company was owned by 13 management. So... I honestly think that's one of the most crazy things she's ever fucking done. That is scary. (laughs) It's like, how long did they date? Three fucking months? And she's out there buying properties? This whole, it's like a fugue state for her, I bet. She's like, I don't don't remember doing that. (laughs) Just like she doesn't remember writing if this was a movie. She's conveniently blanked it from her brain. We're always plugging if this was a movie. Uh, That interview goes on, and when asked about whether she approved of Connor falling in love with her, she said, how could you not? The world has tea. Um, She also said she's spectacular and sensational. She's very kind. You know what she really is? She's game. She had never sailed before she sailed. She had never gone dragging before she dragged. What's that? I don't think it's the kind of dragging that we're familiar with. I assume it's- I have no- It's like some rich white person's game. I've never heard of it. She played everything that everyone else was doing with no fuss. And on this day that this interview comes out, Katy Perry's first appearance in public with John Mayer happens. And you know what? This is the source of the feud. I'm telling you. It has to be. She doesn't give two shits about her fucking dancers. This is what- made Taylor hate Katy Perry. And you know what? I would even say that this isn't even a conspiracy theory because it's just so obvious. And I think that when she was talking about it during 1989 after writing Bad Blood, I really feel like she was just trying to like pivot away from like women fighting over men again. Because like, even though it was true, she didn't want that to be the image because she knew it looked bad. But like, you know what? Sometimes, sometimes one of your really good friends goes with the dude that really fucked you up emotionally and that's not an anti-feminist agenda so but she knew what people were going to say about it so she covered it up with some bullshit about dancers (laughs) i mean and you know what (laughs) it is it's that whole feud is funny anyway we'll get into that later um so on this day a lot happened this day um state of grace also drops to critical acclaim taylor is the only credited writer and it is solely produced by Nathan Chapman. And her commentary on this song is, I wrote this about when you first fall in love with someone, the possibilities, thinking about the different ways that it could go. It's a really big sound. To me, this sounds like the feeling of falling in love in an epic way. She was right and she said it. She said the whole fucking thing. This was definitely the best pre-release from the record. And it was different and her vocals were amazing. This is like, I'd say one of her most vocally challenging songs. A hundred percent. And what I really liked about it was that like, this was definitely the sound that I wanted from the record. Like, you know, uh, overall, I wanted that like singer songwriter fucking sound, but like big produced you know what I mean and like this was it like this is to me like it's so great that State of Grace is the opener because it it just like is the album to me it's like this is what Red is about this is the mission statement this Red is not the mission statement this is it this is the fucking mission statement and it it, the the fucking T that the final the final line in that song is um uh love is a ruthless game unless you play it good and right and then it goes into the rest of the fucking record I you can't you, you can't You can't make it up. No, you cannot fucking make it up. October magazine covers, there are a few of them, obviously, because she's doing promo, so she does glamour, and this is the big curly hair issue, which was confusing to me because she was really promoing the bangs at this point, and this looks like her old hair, but those photos went everywhere all the time. And she talks a little bit about John Mayer, because that 
saga never dies. It goes on until 2013. So just everybody prepare yourselves. Um, so the interviewer presents to her the song and the reaction. And she said that she thinks that song hit home with a lot of girls who've been through toxic relationships. And Glamour said, you know, you never identified who it was about. John Mayer recently told Rolling Stone that it was him. She said, how presumptuous. I never disclose who my songs are about. And then they tell her that he was humiliated by the song. And Taylor Swift said, I know it wasn't good what he said, so I don't want to know. I put a high priority on staying happy and I know what I can't handle. It's not that I'm an egomaniac and I don't want to hear anything negative because I do keep myself in check, but I've never developed a thick skin. So I just kind of live a life and I let the gossip live somewhere else. If you get too far down the rabbit hole, it can change everything about who you are. And I wish that she had taken her own advice during the 1989 era because she went too far down the rabbit hole with the media. Yeah, it was sort of actually kind of interesting reading that over again because I mean, I've, I've read that her talking about that John Mayer shit like again and again and again like I've read it so many times because uh it it comes up a lot like everybody's always bringing it the fuck up it's like oh remember when she said this about John Mayer and it was a total like sassy serve it's like was it a sassy serve <laughs> that she wrote a song called no it wasn't it was a sad <laughs> situation dear John and then logged on and was like that's weird that he assumes that it's about him <laughs> it's like was it sassy <laughs> right that's exactly the kind of thing it's like it was annoying to me that she that she would be like that's presumptuous it's like girl just fucking own it <laughs> like just admit you put his fucking name in the song <laughs> like just admit it exactly i mean what does she have to do spell out his social security number to get her to admit that it's him like it, she just won't but and she still to this day that is her policy in all interviews i don't disclose who my songs are about which is fair enough because it's easy to guess so we guess that honky ass it pisses me off because the only thing that we ever got was when she logged on to Ellen and she said forever and always is about Joe Jonas. <laughs> That's what we get. I, know. I think she learned. She <laughs> what learned. Why would I wouldn't give for her to just once just like get like start an Instagram live and like look right into the camera and be like, dear John is about John Mayer and then log off. So the next interview that we get, this is one of my personal favorite articles and shoots from Taylor. It is the Rolling Stone, edgy, casual, rock girl chic. She's carrying her guitar case. Her bangs are kind of waved. She's wearing a Letterman jacket. She's wearing Ray-Bans. This was like the aesthetic that I really wanted from the Red Era and she served us. Yeah, this was this was the magazine article that I always kind of associate with the Red Era. I really love that that glamour photo shoot. Like I, it's, I still have it. Like I still have all the pictures from it and I've hung them up in my room. It's more speak now to me than it is red. Yeah. That's probably why I like it so much. Um, but the red, the, the, the Rolling Stone one is way more of the speed of the record. At this point she was doing, she was doing an image transition and I think she did it really cleverly because it was slow and gradual and it ramped up the more comfortable we got with it because she's always been aware that she doesn't want to alienate her fans. So I think that these slow dips into you know the high-waisted shorts the red lipstick the bangs like it she teases us she does it one at a time which i think is good and in this article she gives us a lot a lot of tea and she got into a car crash with a reporter which we've never heard the end of there was an interview in 2019 where she still talked about that 
particular instance. So it's like, it's her party story she likes to share. And she says she started taking vocal lessons after her Stevie Nicks performance, which is interesting to me. It shows how vulnerable and receptive she is to critical feedback. She literally listens to feedback on every single album cycle and adjusts based off of what the consensus is. Honestly, it'd be really hard. <laughs> to like do the the fucking Stevie Nicks performance and come off of that being like that was good. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So I I it, it's never surprised me. I mean, it kind of did because it was like, whoa, like she actually like she's not going to be like fuck you. I'm a I'm an artist. Like she was actually like, "Oh, <laughs> You know, maybe vocals aren't my strong suit. <laughs> um, she also in this interview says that she's never seen a therapist. And the quote that goes along that is, I just feel very sane. I mean, this is coming hot off the heels of almost buying real estate in Cape Cod to be close to your three month term long fucking 18 year old boyfriend. So I mean, that quote, like if I can be totally 100% honest with the audience at this time, is like almost borderline offensive. <laughs> like the, the, inst- the, the insinuation that you have to be somehow like insane or, or quote unquote crazy to go to therapy. It's like, no Taylor, you don't have to be crazy to go to therapy. Um, I'm not even gonna go down this rabbit hole, but I'm gonna leave it at that. <laughs> so we get another quote, which I think to me, Miss Americana particularly revealed that Taylor has a very young mindset. And she she mentions being frozen at the age that she became famous, which is like 14 years old. So she has this, some, that she's talking about songwriting and writing about other people. And she says, in every one of my relationships, I've been good and fair. What happens after they take that for granted is not my problem. Chances are, if they're being written about in a way they don't like, it's because they've hurt me really badly. Telling a story only works if you have characters in it. I don't think that it's mean. I think it's mean to hurt someone in a relationship. Interesting that there's a heavy focus on being mean. I don't get what that means. Because in a relationship, when you're 22 years old, I think there's being unfair, abusive, all of those things. But I just think it's weird that she chooses the word mean to focus on it. It seems very juvenile to me. Not true. I think she only started to realize that maybe she made mistakes too with the the aftermath of the Harry Styles breakup. I think until then she was a bit scorned. She was like, I refuse to accept any responsibility I mean, ever. Relationships are messy. And I feel like Taylor has a very cut and dry view of the world or she did back then. It was like, things are good or things are wrong. And I think that it, especially with relationships, it never really works out like that. Yeah, it's it's so strange too, because like back then I always thought that she was so wise. And I'm not saying that she wasn't. <laughs> I, I'm just saying that like, she had like such a, a firm grasp on like so many concepts to me. Like I feel like she taught me a lot. And it's so strange to see her sit there and be like, I'm perfect and never done anything wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, wait a second. Like, that's, that's really what you think? This is where the media training comes in because I feel like what she says in interviews is so different to what she says in her songs because there are some valuable lessons to be taught from, to be learned from a song like Dear John or a song like Last Kiss. And that's the other thing. It's like looking at like a song like Sad, Beautiful, Tragic, I don't get the sense that that is a song that lays blame on any one person. I mean, especially not when she says, you know, like you've got your demons and they all look like me. That there's some like blame and like like guilt in that statement. So I don't, 
I don't know what that quote fucking is, is, is I guess my point. Like, what is that? I think the good girl complex really was in her brain. I think it really tortured her for a while, and it probably limited some of the material that we got. Like, I bet there were times where she thought that's too much or that's too far and took it out because she wasn't ready to, like, present herself in that light to the world. And I feel bad that she didn't feel like she could. Like, what kind of material could we have been getting had she felt like she could have, you know, been more, and I don't even want to use the term explicit because that's not even what it is. Because even her most quote-unquote explicit songs today aren't even that explicit. On October 22nd, we have the beginning of release week. Uh, So this is a pretty crazy release week. We get Red as a Target exclusive and they have a deluxe edition with three songs. It debuts at number one and sells 1.2 million in its first week of sales. At the time, her highest debut, only to be eclipsed by a certain 1989. Uh, It received mixed to positive reviews by critics at the time. But in hindsight, in her retrospective, it is considered to be her greatest album, which makes me think that they, at the time, didn't take a 22-year-old girl seriously, which sucks. No, I totally agree with you. And it's and it's hilarious now. It's hilarious. It, the <laughs> critics mainly praised her newfound pop interests and pointed back to her uh, Easter eggs of being interested in pop writing. And the main critique that she received, and this is important to remember, is that it was not sonically cohesive which I think is a bullshit standard to measure an album by because I think if something's thematically cohesive, that's enough for me. I like an album where I can jump around and like have a different feeling throughout the different songs. Uh, but Taylor really internalized that criticism. Yeah, and I mean, and we know that she did because the fucking terminology that we, the only goddamn thing that we ever heard from her mouth and sonically cohesive, sonically cohesive, sonically cohesive. And I was like, oh, Taylor. I mean, you know, the thing is that <laughs> most of her criticisms, you do usually lead to like a really good record. Like obviously 1989 is incredible. Sometimes I wish she wouldn't like act like it's the end of the fucking world because one goddamn asshole said it's not sonically cohesive. Yeah, sometimes I wonder if she was just totally organic in her process, what would that sound like? Because the process at this point is is slightly geared towards what can be a single, what can chart, what can be on the radio, what's good for streaming. Like, I do wonder what her music would sound like if it sounded more like Red, which to me is the most organic writing process that she has had because it exists in such different forms. Like, there are so many different kinds of songs that I really think that this was a huge exponential growth for her in trying out different things. I don't think she's been as experimental with the writing since. Um, But yeah, so that is the main criticism of Red. And an interesting tidbit, you guys are always asking us to talk about fandom drama. So here's some for you. The Taylor followers are selected from Twitter by Taylor Nation to trail Taylor on her promotional blitz in New York City. And they live tweet all the events that she's at. So these bitches are basically getting front row seats to every single appearance that Taylor does. Like every morning show, every performance, every interview, they are front row hanging out and meeting Taylor multiple times backstage. I mean, the rule was broken a million times in one week by the same people. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna pop in and say that I don't even fucking remember this shit. I don't know if I blacked it out from rage or like what, but I don't remember any of it. Um, so she also announces the Red Tour live with Katie Couric, and we get a bunch of US dates and no international dates as per fucking usual. Um, so she said, uh, that she described the album as being the difference between hope and fear and faith and worrying. And she discusses trying to evolve, uh, without becoming a new thing. 
So Red comes out and it also comes out that Taylor and Connor broke up. Uh, thank you for that. Glad that that fucking saga is over. Um, and she performs on Good Morning America. She's wearing a black turtleneck. She does We Are Never Ever Getting Back Together, Love Story in Red, and this was not a good performance. There was something wrong with the guitar during We Are Never. I don't know what it was, but it just, like, wasn't working. And she's never she's never good on the morning shows. That just never happens. Understandably, it's, like, 8 a.m. No, not once. She should never do it again. Never. 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 <laughs> I'm sick of it. And she does, so this week was really big. She does Katie Couric, GMA, David Letterman, The View, Ellen, and Dancing with the Stars. It was a lot. She wouldn't do it to us. She wouldn't deign to feed us. We want the press tour. Um, all right, so now it's time to sink our teeth into the album, my favorite part, and we can get into the secret song messages. And this is the last, I'm sorry to tell you all, this is the last juicy part of uh, the, sorry, I just got a text. This is the last juicy part of the secret messages that we get, because after this, she neuters them on 1989 and then refuses to provide us with them ever again. So, <laughs> it is, you know what, this ain't for the best. My reputation has never been worse. <laughs> um, okay, so read the albums. The album. Can you hear my text that I'm getting? Oh, okay, but you can't hear the ding. Okay, I'm going to delete my phone. Um, all right, so the, the first track that we have is State of Grace, written by Taylor, produced by Nathan Chapman. We've discussed. It is amazing. It is a U2 rock anthem something she has never done before and probably won't ever do again this was pretty experimental for her honestly it sucks because uh this is definitely like the kind of music that fits her vocals the absolute best but uh, what do i know i'm just the janitor like i mean you know we were talking about this last night about how with the long songs when taylor really gives her space herself space to write it can be amazing and it fucking sucks because now she's on the pop song train and we don't get to hear, <laughs> we don't get the unedited, unfiltered down, you know, full length. I mean, not to go 10 minute all too well on everybody, but like, I, you know, it, 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 the songs are better when they're longer. The, the evidence is right in front of us. It's called State of Grace. Um, so the next song we have is Red, Taylor, written, Chapman and Huff produced. And the secret message for this is Sag. Hmm, Madeline, do you know who's a Sagittarius? I believe I do. I believe his name is Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> oh, wow. I guess we've just pieced together an eternal mystery. Okay, but wait, 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 wait. So the, so the other thing about the secret message is that a lot of people say that it stands for the SAG Awards, which is where she is rumored to have met Jake Gyllenhaal. But either way, it's about Jake's fucking That is true. It's about Jake fucking Gyllenhaal. I mean... It, it could be her excellence giving us two clues. It, exactly. But the other thing is that she does mention in State of Grace, you know, o only moments earlier <laughs> that they have twin fire signs. So, I mean, I, I mean, either way, either fucking way. 
I'm just putting it out there. Um, okay, so number three, we get Treacherous, which is Taylor, Dan Wilson, and it is produced by Dan Wilson. And the secret message is Won't Stop Till It's Over. This song is, it's not one of my favorites from Red, but I really appreciate it because I think it's super experimental structurally because we get that double bridge and the way that the song just swells at the end is truly something else. I'm really happy to hear you say that it's not one of your favorites from the record because like I have such a special place in my heart for Treacherous because of the bridge and the double bridge. Um, But it's like at the verses, honest to God, I skip them. <laughs> they're plain they're Jane. plain Jane, and then, you know a lot of people will get like, "You don't love Treacherous." It's like I do love Treacherous. It, it's in my heart, but I skip half the fucking song. Intellectually, intellectually, I love it. logically, <laughs> but <laughs> when it comes on, I'm skipping. So all the respect in the world to Treacherous, even though it's not our top girly. Like uh, we we respect. But she put in her hours. She clocked in and she, she did her work. She clocked the fuck in. There are some theories that this one is about Harry Styles, and this is probably, this and Come Back, Be Here are the only songs that I will accept on Red that might be about Harry Styles. Well, the, the other thing is that, um, correct me if I'm wrong, I Knew Your Trouble is track number four, yes, right? Yes, it is. Uh, the, the, the other thing is that Taylor had said that Treacherous and I Knew Your Trouble are about the same fucking person. Well, then. So the, them, them being back to back, it's like, oh, it's Treacherous. And then she's like, I knew that you were trouble this, or treacherous. The storytelling in this track list, I mean, it veers off at times, but you know, it's it's mostly a story. It's there. It's fucking there. And so when when, when people were getting into the I knew your troubles about Harry Styles, I'm like, it could not possibly be. Because treacherous is not about Harry fucking styles. It's just not. It's about it's a it's a fucking about I, I've honestly gone back and forth between John Mayer and Jake Gyllenhaal, but it's about one of those two. It's, de- it's definitely yeah, not one of those two. One yeah. of the fuckers. It's about one of one them. One of the motherfuckers. So number four, we have I Knew You Were Trouble. Swift, Shellback, Martin. And the secret message is When You Saw Me Dancing. Now I have to say, I Knew You Were Trouble is a fucking serve. It really, really is. I love it. Um, It is definitely that song that, you know, at first I was really hesitant about, but like, it, I mean, it, it's fucking I Knew You Were Trouble. <laughs> like, I, it's just such a, it's a cert. It's a monster hit, really. And it's, it's a forgotten hit. Taylor herself does not remember that I Knew You Were Trouble was bigger, I mean, in the collective memory, than We Are Never Ever Getting Back Together. It, it sort of irritates me. I mean, obviously, she, she served us I Knew You Were Trouble on the 1989 tour, as she should. I mean, And she did it so much justice. It was so good. So it was so surprising to me that it didn't survive onto the rep tour because I knew your trouble is a rep. Like it doesn't make any sense. It's it should have been there. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, you know, she makes a lot of weird decisions. Track five, the illustrious um, uh, little song that many people don't know. It is a deep cut. It's called All Too Well. Have you have you heard of that song, Madeline? I, I, you know, honestly, it's kind of one of the clunkers of the record. <laughs> <laughs> Liz Rose ruse the fucking day that she sat in a room and wrote this song with Taylor Swift because her entire career has been the badgering of the releasing the now 20-minute version of All Too Well. Oh, right. It's, now it's expanded. I forgot about that. Now it's 20 fucking it's 20 minutes. 20 minutes. Oh, shit. Poor Liz. I don't want it. I like All Too Well, and I will keep it the way that it is. Shut up, you You know, sometimes the edited version of something is edited down for a reason, and I feel like a lot of people don't realize that. Yes. 
Like I, I'm sure that if there is theoretically, like I'm, I'm sure there's a notebook somewhere that has all the lyrics to all too well in it. And it's long and there's a lot of stuff crossed out and maybe it would be interesting, but it would not be a serve. I said it. It would not be, it would be great to see a lyric sheet. I don't think it would be good to hear. And I bet that like what she means is that they wrote a bunch of stuff, but this is the recorded version. I'm telling you people, there isn't a recorded no. demo of the full all too well because they were probably editing it as they wrote. Right, exactly. They, they, they weren't editing it in the fucking studio. You know, they weren't like, oh, let's cut six minutes off of this fucking song all of a sudden. Like, <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Um, and the secret message for this song was Maple Latte, which, as we all know, links back to the fateful day when Jake Gyllenhaal and Taylor Swift stepped out and had a little walk and he carried her groceries and they drank maple lattes and they fell in love and then he murdered her. <laughs> and I remember we spent so long in one of our old episodes like going the fuck off about like the video of them getting maple lattes because like everyone said like he didn't hold the door for her uh, <laughs> and this was like this is what begin again was all about he, you know you don't know how nice it is that you pulled your chair out for me and he didn't even hold the fucking door open for her like this video is of nothing i need to tell you guys if you've never seen it yeah, it's it is nothing. them walking down the street <laughs> but we have <laughs> dissected it like fucking, like we're looking at a frog. <laughs> um, so, I mean, what else? We really can't spend too long talking about this because everything's been fucking said. But yes, it is probably the best songwriting of her career. The vocal delivery is amazing. And it is, it is a time capsule to like what I intrinsically love about Taylor Swift. And um, it has to be said that I don't think that there will ever be another song that all too well ever the fuck again. Um, especially not from her herself. And I mean, if there were to be one, she would have to break up with Joe. And I, you know, it's just a standalone song. You know, it, it stands above the rest. Even I, like, you know, it kind of irritates me, to be honest with you, when the listicles come out and like All Too Well is always number one. It's like, does anybody have an original fucking opinion anymore? Except for that one bitch who put You Belong With Me at number one, which is, which is, which is, a, which is an insane asylum thing. <laughs> crazy person attitude which is like you came out of the fucking asylum and said that i just think that liz rose and taylor should reunite at some point in the future i would love a mellow record full of songs written by taylor and liz rose because there's something about liz that is that pulls a conciseness and a specificity out of taylor and that is what i really love about her songwriting something about their minds like they i they must have very similar my, or something like that you know what I mean to to bounce these ideas off each other that that are so in, intrinsically like a Taylor Swift song it's like how Liz always says that she's more of an editor when it comes to Taylor and I think that really says a lot because sometimes when you hear a song that's co-written by like I don't know for what's the name of that fucking dude that did the man and Miss Americana and only the young Joel Little, my nemesis. Yeah, Joel Little, that that little person. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like I like this does not read to me like a Taylor. Like the lyrics are not of the caliber. Well, for example, Cornelia Street kind of tried to do what All Too Well did in that it was long and about a relationship. I think she did it by herself. I think that she needs an editor when it comes to those long-winding songs just because it helps her get the most powerful stuff together. Back to All Too Well. So I like the way that it is directly following I Knew You Were Trouble because I think that that comparison really, that like friends, 
frantic, frenetic energy of I knew you were trouble going into that crash hard burn of all too well really describes red to me like that intense flinging between emotions it this is definitely the record of hers that i think the the listing of the tracks um there's like a very like it is so like spot the fuck on in its track listing especially in the first half like i think in the second half um it, it kind of veers off a little bit but the first half of the record she's saying something she's telling a story and then so the next track we get is 22 which with Shellback and Martin, and the secret message is Ashley, Claire, Diana, and Selena. So I wonder who those songs are about. <laughs> I wonder. I think that this is a great song to follow All Too Well, because she's obviously broken up with post All Too Well, and 22 is all about being single and kind of being depressed and not really knowing what the fuck you're doing, but having an amazing time anyway. And Madeline and I have long been going to the fucking mat over the song because I love it and Madeline is a hater. I am, but what's really important to know about my personal journey with the song 22 is that when the album Red was leaking, even more to the point, when the tracklist first came out, before the record was even leaking, when the tracklist first came out, there was a uh, little ditty <laughs> on the tracklist called 22. And if anybody remembers from the record Fearless, there was a song called 15. And so my ass and a lot of other people's asses too, not just me, <laughs> were like, oh, this is going to be like a real, this is going to be like a 15 style song. Like, oh, it's going to be all about like, what's like between two, like, it's going to be just like that. It's going to be just like that. So you can imagine. So when, when the record leaked and I, uh, this was before, you know, Taylor was on Tumblr and, you know, you, you could listen to leaks and not be judged. You didn't, you weren't tarred and feathered. Let's leave it at that. So I, I listened to the leak, but I only did a certain number of songs. And one of the songs I chose was 22 because I thought it was going to be a very special song. So there the fuck I am. <laughs> there the fuck I am. And I'm like, oh my God, here we go, 22. Uh, beautiful, beautiful. And this fucking, I, uh, it's like I, the moment that really like my soul exited my body, the opening guitar chords, I was like, okay. <laughs> and then the, the drop happened and she said, it feels like a perfect night to dress up like hipsters. And I said, what the fuck is this absolute trash that is coming into my eardrums? What is this? I was pissed for many years. To be fair, that was a rough line. It, it's, it's, it's rough. <laughs> and that's the opening line of the fucking song. And then it gets worse. <laughs> it, and I'm speaking as if I am my, how old was I? 2019 my 19-year-old self listening to this record for the, this song for the first time and, and she talks about I don't know about you but I'm feeling 22 I, 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 I was mystifying I this is the song on the record that is above all else above even we are never ever getting back together like the pop song on the album it is the most bubblegum one of her biggest pop songs of all time I think the chorus is huge it, it's 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 very like uh, dancey. I don't know how else to describe it. It's bubblegum. It makes you want to get up and dance. It's pulsating. It's pulsating. Yeah, it's it's just like very aggressive, you know, especially when you're not expecting it. So I I, I, I think that the reason that I've always hated it for song was, uh, and I've said this a million times before, is because of the way that I thought it was going to be. And then it was this. And I already was like opposed because I just, uh, uh, oh God, I, I'm like freaking out right now. <laughs> I just like already was like opposed to the idea of her going pop anyway. And this was back then. Like, obviously, we're in a different era. And it's weird to hear someone say that about Taylor Swift. Like, I don't want him to do pop music. Nobody says that. We were but saying we've it back been then. around. Yeah. We've been around. So, I mean, I wouldn't say that today I, like, have this, like, deep-seated hatred towards 22. 
but it, it's it's always at the like towards the bottom of my list. But do you think for five seconds that I haven't absolutely gone ape shit <laughs> for twenty two? <laughs> like I have. When I turn twenty two, it's a song that like if it comes on and that, like my friends are around, I'm like, oh my god, this is so embarrassing. Like this is like one of her worst songs. But then in private, I'm like, uh, maybe I'll just turn it up a little bit. <laughs> well, I have to say the bridge to this song really is so euphoric, and like the build up to that last chorus, her vocals are truly insane. And the acoustic version that we got served of this was really, really good. And I have to say, I just think that like, this is one of those songs, weirdly, that in like hindsight, people really know this song. Like locals know the song 22. And it, it did well, but it wasn't like a huge hit. It wasn't an I Knew You Were Trouble. But it is one of those songs that like resurges every year as people turn 22 years old. It really is timeless because people are going to keep turning 22. I gotta tell you. I mean, and also it relates back to the theme because this song sounds like the feeling that she's describing. It really does. Like the happy, free, confused, and lonely in the best way. Like it really, if you're in your 20s, you know what I'm, what the fuck I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. And you know, the other thing about it is like, this is kind of like the quintessential song that sort of defines like what the album, even though it's not sonically cohesive, like this is like the song that's like, okay, it doesn't sound like the rest of the record but it fits in with the rest of the record perfectly. And if you get it, you get it. And if you don't... And that's how you do a theme. Exactly, exactly. So I love 22. Moving on. Um, the next song we get is a, again, another sharp turn. It is I Almost Do, which is written solely by Swift and uh, produced by Nathan Chapman. The secret message is wrote this instead of calling. What do you think of I Almost Do, Madeline? Um, it's kind of one of those songs where I won't use the term indifferent, but I will say that I very rarely think about it or and I'm driven to listen to it. Um, I don't really have a ton to say about it. Um, I think that it's lyrically pretty good. I just think that it's kind of one of the more boring songs on the record. The bridge. That's a critique people have of the record is that there are too many boring yeah, songs. Yeah, the bridge is really good. I love the bridge. I love the delivery of it. I love it when she like, the, the last I almost do before the bridge when she goes, when she goes off. That's, I love that part of the song. So, I mean, there are things I like about it, but hey, you know, could take it or leave it. What about you? Some people really hate this song. I am not one of them. I love this song. I think it's really good. I think I just like any tortured Taylor Swift song. So if she's really feeling it, I am also wanting to feel it. So I think that I almost do, I can really see her, like picture her in a chair with her guitar in her fucking Nashville a uh, fairy tale princess world looking out and being like, I wish I could call Jake Gyllenhaal. Mer. Like I really, I really picture it. The whole reason why I love this album is because I think everything is on theme. And I think that this fits again into the the overarching statement really well. And I love, I love Taylor and a guitar always. Like that's my favorite. So I like I almost do. It's not my number one best girlfriend, but I think she's a cute girl. Next we have, I mean, we've already talked about it. We are never, ever getting back together. And the secret message is when I stopped caring about what you thought. Um, you know, I don't think Taylor ever stops caring about what anyone thinks. So that's just not true, my dude. She wants us to think that she does, but she's impossible of doing it. And she also wants us to believe that I forgot that you existed is the truth. But you <laughs> know. <laughs> Next we get what I think is the only true, true clunker on the album, which is Stay, Stay, Stay. 
by Swift and Chapman, and the liner notes are that it is daydreaming about real love. Well, I guess not many people know this anymore, but back in the day, a lot of people knew that I was kind of a stay, stay, stay warrior. <laughs> yeah, when they took it off the Red Tour set list, you were really fucking mad. Yeah, because I didn't get to fucking hear it. That was like the number one thing. It's like, you take it off for the other schmoes, but not for me. <laughs> like, <laughs> but it is that, it's so strange to me <laughs> that I'm like the one. Everybody else fucking, well, not everybody, I shouldn't say that, but so many people, even people like Zach, who's like a red stand, are like, fucking, I hate Stay, Stay, Stay. I really like it, and I always have. Um, it, and maybe it's because I, at the time I was learning ukulele, and let's see, that was like the first song I learned on the ukulele. Maybe that's why. Oh, yeah. But also, like, when I first heard it, even before I had a ukulele, I was like, I fucks with this so hard. I love the bridge. It, I, I just, I'm, I, I, I think that it puts a smile on my little face, and I like it so much. That's how I feel about Today Was a Fairy Tale, but some people won't let me have that. We've joked a lot about undiscovered supermodels on this show, and I have to say that the true fucking undiscovered supermodel is the last time featuring Gary Lightbody produced by Jackknife Lee. Uh, Secret message is LA on your break. Pretty sure that this is about Jake Gyllenhaal. Fairly sure. This song is just a musical moment. This is the most like musically, technically uh, advanced Taylor has ever gotten. This shit has layers. It has harmonies. It has a crescendo. It has incredible lyrics with two perspectives. And I just think their voices sound amazing together. The instrumentation, when it swells at the end and they do that like kind of sparring of the chorus, it's just... I really think this is stunning and unlike anything she's ever done before. I don't know what it is about it because you're not the only one who has this opinion. I, I've heard that people believe they're like, this is the undiscovered supermodel because it is like nobody really talks about it ever. You're totally right about the bridge. Like I love the back and forth because she doesn't usually do duets in such a way. Like think about me. I mean, I, you can't compare me and the last time. You just can't do that. It, it's very cinematic. I will agree with you there. Like it's a bit, it, it is kind of a moment. It's, it's just something about it that just like doesn't click for me personally. But I get, I respect, I respect. I think people are put off because it starts with Gary Lightbody. For at least like a minute and a half, it's just him with no Taylor. I see it so clearly and she described it as well. She was like, I when I, when I wrote it, I imagined like there's one guy on one side of the door and a girl on the other side of the door and he's begging her to open the door and she wants to open the door so badly but she can't and I was like wow that is a moment a moment all right so I mean we're on a winning stretch here 11 I'm about to lose my mind is holy ground with swift and jeff basker and the secret message is when you came to the show in san diego now ladies and gentlemen this completes the trifecta the uh the top three <laughs> Uh, which starts with Forever and Always, uh, middle part of Last Kiss, and ends with Holy Ground. Have we ever had a three-song arc from three separate albums like this? No, we haven't. Only Joe Jonas could give that to us. And it, it, of course, it had to be Joe Jonas, you know? <laughs> like, <I was laughs> of so all silly. the people. But it is such a fucking serve, and I feel like the general public is never going to respect the maturing that occurred over the course of these three songs. I mean, you can't get that kind of content from anyone. You can't get that from just anyone. None of the other girlies are writing in no. their diaries this coherently. No. And the thing is, the most wonderful thing of it all is that it was a fucking 
accident. <laughs> she didn't do it on purpose. She didn't know. She didn't know. <laughs> no, she had no idea. She wrote Holy Ground. I mean, okay, let's talk about that progression, right? So forever and always, she's like fucking pissed and sad and being 18 years old and like throwing shit and crying. Last kiss, she's like mourning the loss of something. And then holy ground, she's looking back on something that she had that was wonderful and amazing. And she literally, like the maturity of her being like, the story's got dust on every page. She just skips over the conflict and goes straight into appreciating it for what it was and not being bitter and not being sad and just wanting to celebrate the fact that she and this person had something that meant something to her. The story's got dust on every page line. I love that she she does like, that build up in that in that second verse when she's got and she's like the story's got dust on every page and then she comes down and she's like but sometimes I wonder how you think about it now it's like oh my god I can't do this the lyrics in this song the delivery it's frantic it's oh I just this song gives me like a visceral reaction and like my favorite part of it is the bridge like the tonight I'm gonna dance for all that we've been through but I do not want to dance if I'm not dancing with you it is so it's I think what I like about it is that it's magic and it's simple and I think that's when Taylor really does it best when she's trying to do these elaborate like I'll never walk Cornelia street again this tiny uh piece of real expensive real estate in New York like no holy ground is about a feeling it's it's specific but it's also general which means that we can all relate to that feeling so that was my TED talk on why holy ground is the best song the thing about it is that I distinctly remember hearing it for the first time after the record came out and I kept thinking like you know this song is building up to something it's building up to something and then there kind of was no payout but it's like it's the kind of song where the first time you hear it, you're like, Meh, because it's lyric driven. It's not, you know what I mean? Like it's not sonically driven, it's lyric driven. You have to listen to the lyrics and you have to see how, like, you know what I mean? So like, yeah, it doesn't lead up to anything because it, it, that's the point. It's over, <laughs> you know what I mean? we're appreciating what we had really is one of her like more it's so underrated really I was surprised when she served it to us um, most recently what I really like is that now that people are drawing attention to red she's starting to remember that there were other songs on the album that are not all too well oh my god yes yes I personally prefer the hyper produced version like it's the frantic energy that I really like the acoustic version I can give or take Let's not forget when she played it for me that one time. I just like to drop that in there. We'll get into that. But I just like to just throw it out there. The moment that inspired this, we noted in our 2011 podcast, she she wrote on her arm lyrics on the Speak Now tour, after all that we've been through, I know we're cool. And that is the mission statement for this song. Really, It really is. Yeah. Gwen Stefani um, definitely served the tea that Taylor took in to create Holy Ground. I mean, let's just be honest with each other. To create crack cocaine. Yeah. That's what she did with <laughs> yes. it. This is a winning stretch for me. We move on to track 12. Madeline's going to have something to say. It's sad, beautiful, tragic. And the secret message is while you were on a train. This particular song for me personally, I mean, there's so many high points to Red. And like, I love State of Grace and I love the song Red and I and I love Holy Ground. But like, if, you, if, if I was like, okay, what's my favorite fucking song from read it would have to be sad beautiful tragic and i know that that's not like a lot of, i mean nobody nobody's top five has sad beautiful tragic except for me and what it is for me in the song again it has the ukulele on it which i love <laughs> i love the ukulele so i again there's that 
but also I almost can't even really get into it because it's just so fucking good. And I know that it's, it might on the surface seem boring, but that it's so fucking sad. It's so sad. It's She's so sad. Like the way that she sings all the lyrics. It's probably her saddest song of all time other than Soon You'll Get Better. It's like she's given up, which she even says but in the song. Like it's just like, it's, it's the feeling of when you totally give up on somebody. And that is so fucking sad. I can't even, it's like, I'm tearing up, boy. <laughs> tearing up, man. Distance, timing, breakdown, fighting. And it's like, it's such simple, concise writing, but it conveys a message that is so resonant and like really heartbreaking. It's what she's best at. It's what she's absolutely best at is like taking really, really simple things and making them very profound. You know what I mean? Like it's like that's that's kind of what makes it profound is that it's so it's like everybody knows And it's it sounds like you're on a train. Like that yeah. kind of song. You're looking out the window yeah. and you're feeling like shit and, it's and everything feels like it's stopped and it's never going to be good again. That's how it feels. Oh, I love the train sound in the intro. Oh my god, I can't even get into it. Like this song is fucking incredible. And let it be known everyone, when she did this as a secret song, we all went into international SOS mode trying to wake Madeline up. And she woke up and lost her damn mind. And you really know what got my fucking asshole is that it happened like the the show after mine. That fucking the reason it even got played is because people begged her to play it. And I and I got speak now the song. Like Red has the deepest, darkest, and most revealing looks into her brain. I, it just doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> like I don't I don't know. She doesn't trust us. No, she doesn't <laughs> trust us. I guess the closest she comes is clean. I mean, this this shit is in different areas. It's in every single area you could ever imagine. Um, so the next song we get, and this is, uh, again, another flop for me, is The Lucky One with Swift and Basker. And the t- secret message is, wouldn't you like to know? And my answer to that is, no, I wouldn't. I don't care. The song sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? I kind of, this is, I, I believe, believe it's about Joni Mitchell, I believe. Yes. Well, I mean, of course we have to assume because we're talking, we're talking about red and, you know, blue, blah, 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 blah. But it's just not, I mean, I guess I understand the homage. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like if we're going to pay homage, but at the same time- It's a pretty time, shitty one though. Yeah. I mean, let's call it what it is, girls. It's just, it. it's like <laughs> <laughs> she tried something. It's not a good song. She tried something. And people really ride for this song. I've seen many people go to the mat for this song and I don't get it. People sit on their high horses and they try to compare it to um, a One Lucky by Britney Spears. And it's like, don't you dare. So on to 14, we have Everything Has Changed featuring Ed Sheeran, produced by Butch Walker and the secret message is Hyannis Port. Wow, that's surprising. I wonder who that's about. So boring. I mean, I just, I can't even talk about this song. Like it was such a, I think we discussed it before, but like, it's such a fucking letdown. Like we really expected the last time from Ed Sheeran and Taylor Swift, we wanted a fucking breakup song and we got like a spoonful of honey and like. And the fact that this is the only thing I like about the song is like so telling of like how boring the song itself is. There's a lyric um, that's not even uh, in a chorus or a bridge or a verse. It's like a throwaway lyric at the end of the song. She says, dust off your highest hopes. Also, you know, the end is good too. All I know is pouring rain. And also all I know is a newfound grace. That actually, that's pretty good. <laughs> I will say. We're like roasting it, but we're like, uh, okay, it's, it's good. So the thing is that like, nobody thinks that everything has changed is bad. Like nobody thinks that. It's just not. Just kick Ed Sheeran off of it. Yeah, I mean, it's just like not the serve that we all expected. Because like, like we've said before, you know, um, at the time, Ed Sheeran and Taylor Swift were the 
they were the they're prolific songwriters. I don't know what the fuck Ed is on now. He's in another dimension. We all picked like two songs, I think it was from Red to listen to before as it leaked and then wait for the rest of it to come out. And my two songs that I picked were Everything Has Changed and Starlight. And you can imagine the disappointment that I felt with those two fucking songs. I was like, this album is about to tank. That is bleak. So then moving on, we have, I guess while we're talking about it, Starlight, Taylor Swift, Chapman, and the uh, secret messages for Ethel. Fucking let it go. Let it die. If I was Ethel, I'd be like, do you fucking hate me or something? Like, what the shit is this? I would like to spend a moment painting the scene for everybody, right? Okay, here we go. So when I saw the track list for Red, I saw the word starlight and I lost my fucking mind. So we're coming off of Speak Now, right? We've heard nothing from Red other than we are never, ever getting back together. So I see starlight and I think enchanted. I think whimsical, dreaminess, gorgeous, uh, ethereal sounding ballad. And I hear it. I don't know what she was thinking, but it (laughs) sucks. And like, I've gotten used to it now. I think I've just been traumatized and traumatized and traumatized by it that like, it's fine. I'll listen to it from time to time. But the, like the chorus can kind of go off. The Barbie on the boardwalk didn't do it for me. The thing that I hate the fucking absolute most about this track is that you can kind of tell she was trying to make it sound like, um, what would it have been? 50s or 60s, you know? Like kind of like what, she was trying to make it sound like that. And man, did it fail. It is bad. It is bad, 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 bad. And not, not to even mention. What a marvelous tune. Are you 85 years old, Taylor Swift? It's humiliating to listen to it. What a marvelous tune. And then when, okay, this is really like the tipping point of the song is like when it gets really bad is when she goes, have 10 kids and teach them how to dream. It's like so embarrassing. Oh, God. It's so embarrassing now that I think about it as well. And then we get to track 16, which is the perfect, wonderful closure that we needed for this record. Begin Again, which we've discussed. And the secret message is, I wear heels now, mic drop. Mic fucking drop. It's such a perfect ending uh, as a secret message. It is such a perfect ending for for the record because it's kind of like um, I went through all of this stuff with you um and you made me really question myself and like who I was and you changed me and you know what motherfucker now I wear heels and you know she says it in the I knew you were trouble monologue it was like the worst part wasn't losing him it was losing me and I think that is what's so devastating about this record is that she's grappling more with herself and her identity than she is with other people because like obviously other people triggered these tangents that she went on but it's super internal And Begin Again to me is one of those like, I will always love that song. I will always want her to play it because it's so happy and it comes to such a great conclusion. And I think that the storytelling in that song is so wonderful. 10 out of 10. And I love most of all, the the thing about the song that sticks out to me is at the end of the bridge, when she says for the first time, what's past is past. The way she says it is very powerful. it's It's such a simple idea. Like what's past is past. Like everybody knows that. But like when when you actually like get to that point when you're like, oh my God, it's over. After hearing all of that turmoil on Red, like this is what we're talking about with the track list and the story. When it comes to Begin Again, it all fucking makes sense. 
You're telling me that you heard daylight and you went, yup. <laughs> you can't say that. No. She hasn't done it again. No, it, Begin Again really is like such a perfect closing song. I mean- She hasn't nailed it since a closing song. For me, this was like her palate cleanse. She was like, all right, I'm done writing all these like sad, heartbroken songs. I'm done being like in turmoil just so I can be professionally successful. And I'm on to the next thing which was 1989. So I think this was a great ending of an era for us in terms of how we experienced her music and what we expected from her. You know what? I'm like sitting here thinking about like everything that we've been saying. I'm like, this is like the most introspective and like deep shit that the podcast has ever been. This album is doing it. And I hope that you are all intellectuals and not mad at us for not sitting here and dragging every single song and bringing up quirky moments. But like, this is this is why we're fans. TBH, right? Like we want the juice. Right, I mean, TBH. TBH. I, I think overall, the red as a record, like I know that I consistently list it as my least favorite record, but at this point, like in my adult life as a person who's not like some little 17-year-old stand girl anymore, and I don't go psycho about stuff anymore. Like I, I just like when I look up the records, like yes, I, I list it last a lot. But it's not because I think that it's a bad record. When when I'm talking about, like, I love genuinely from the bottom of my very soul every single fucking Taylor Swift record. I do. But, like, something has got to go last. And for me, personally, like, if I'm, like, thinking about it by the numbers, like, how many songs do I absolutely 100% fuck with? And how many do I, like, never fucking listen to? Honestly, Red has the most number of songs that I just do not listen to. Like, I don't listen to the last time. I don't fucking listen to the lucky one. I don't listen to everything has changed. I don't listen to Starlight. Like, I don't really say that about the rest of her records. But the fact of the matter is that Red also has some of the best material she's ever fucking done. And it's like, nobody can ever really take that away from her. That's my overall opinion on the record. It's like, yes, I it has a lot of skips for me. So I, I do list it last a lot, but it also has some of her best fucking material. Objectively, it's I think it's her most important work. As in, like, it marked the end of something and the beginning of something, and it was really a transition period. It was a growing pain. You're totally right. Like it it sits in the middle. No matter what she does from here on out, red is the middle marker between like I would say adolescence and adulthood for her. Which is something she's still grappling with, but I think the most clear thing that the most clear move that we've seen towards maturing has been between red and 1989 absolutely absolutely it's it's very like looking back on it now it like i don't think that any of us realized that at the time because what do we know we were doing the exact same shit like i mean you and i like we were not around the same age as taylor she's five years older than me so it's like but thinking about it in terms of like where she might have been mentally like sometimes I think that she's like five years behind. Do you know what I mean? And so she's like my age. You know what I like meant? Like you know what I mean? I think she's just turning twenty five and like finding a sense of security in her brain right now. That's totally what I'm thinking in my brain. Like when she was doing nineteen eighty nine and she was twenty five. Really, in my mind, she was twenty two or like twenty one. Like that age where you kind of just become cognizant of like being a human. Right, like moving out of your parents' house, dude. Like I mean, I know she had already done that, but like when she's talking about like moving to New York, like it's this big like. That's oh, what that was. Wow, like that was her like going to college or some shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so we have a few bonus tracks to get into. We'll go through them quickly. Uh, the moment I knew. What do you think? This particular song, I find, like, I, of course, when you're at your birthday party and Jake Gyllenhaal is not coming, 
<laughs> as it becomes apparent. This is very sad. This is very sad. And she's wearing red lipstick, but I just feel like I wish the production were a little bit different because it's so dramatic. And like, I, I, I you know, it's very dramatic. Like it's so, almost, for me, almost overdone. Like I like the song, don't get me wrong, but it's one of those ones that I don't really want to listen to. If she did this as a secret song, acoustic, it would really, really, really slap. Oh man, uh, acoustic, the song would be off the fucking charts. <laughs> like if she just toned it down a like, little bit the in red lipstick it's like okay <laughs> take it down take it down <laughs> we get it we get it you wear red lipstick it's understood <laughs> um so i like the moment i knew but i agree i think it could be turned down come back be here i go i go back and forth with this one i used to love it when it came out i remember that um, yeah. pe- people insist that it is about harry styles I will accept that as being the only plausible song that's about him on this album. I'll take it. But I don't know. I, yeah, I really liked it at first, but it's a little too simple for me. And weirdly, everyone's going to roast me. I like Girl at Home more than I like Come Back, Be Here at this point. So um, for me, Come Back, Be Here, uh, yeah, it's kind of one of those songs that I only listen to um, when it's applicable. <laughs> it's, it's very specific. I, I, I like the bridge when she's like, all sad like come back be here it's like oh yeah <laughs> but on the whole it, I, there's not it doesn't serve I mean there's not a, like a really good lyric you know what I mean it's like she's saying she's sad <laughs> yeah it's whatever <laughs> um and then what do you think of girl at home I'm literally gonna like tell you the straight up facts which is that I feel like the reason <laughs> that you don't hate it as much as like it's the rest of or uh, many of us do is because you are a man <laughs> yeah, I mean that with like I'm I'm not even trying to play like a card like I just feel like like when women hear like that kind of like that haughtiness like I'm better because I'm not gonna sleep but like it's just like very I know it's like it grates no I forgot about that one line that's like, if I was a stupid girl, that's actually really bad. Of course, like, it's kind of a little, it's got a kind of a boppiness to it, but it's just like, I can't get past the, 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 I, I don't know what to even call it. Like, yeah, well, it's a little bit sexist. And it's also like, she's up on her horse, man. She's saddled up. <laughs> she is saddled up. Also, okay, let's get into like the real tea about the song is that a lot of people believe that this little ditty is about one Zac Efron. I know. And People are going to go fucking crazy at us because they really wanted us to talk about that specific ship. But honestly, I I don't really think that anything happened between them other than perhaps this encounter no. where he tried to like maybe hook up with her while he was dating someone else. And she was like, no, I'm, I'm a good girl. I don't do that. Right. Exactly. Because I mean, who else could it possibly be? I'm totally like, I'll jump on the board. Like, sure. It's about Zac Efron. That's really embarrassing for him. <laughs> like, that's really all I think about that. Yeah. And it's interesting how they have not interacted since that Ellen thing that they did like at all. A hundred percent. If she fucking put girl at home on the record about him see he's he's deleting he's deleting her fucking number taylor hates cheating more than anyone else in the world hates cheating like to her i really think that like it is so morally corrupt to cheat and i wonder why she has such a strong stance on this because it really seems like she'll forgive someone for doing anything or take someone back a million times but if they do that specific thing it's done I hate to wonder if it's a parent thing oh, or... That is something. Careless man's careful daughter. I mean, 
parents' mistakes. There's something there. No, no, I totally buy this conspiracy theory. There's something there. You're totally right. <laughs> All right. Anyway, um, so then we have the treacherous and red demos, which are both garbage. The red demo particularly, like, I went on a campaign against it for a while. Complete waste of our time. Complete waste of our time. Why are these here? We don't want it was a, it was it was disrespectful actually. Yeah, like why would we want to listen to this shitty like red but <laughs> shittier? Like why Exactly. That's really what yeah. it is. Red but shittier. But state of grace <laughs> acoustic served us. Absolutely gave us a meal. I put in notes on the podcast. Where is Better Man? That song would have fit in so fucking well on this album. I think that we should delete the lucky one from the record and just kind of squeeze Better Man in there. Because why didn't we deserve it? <laughs> is what I want to know. Like, why did she think that we didn't earn it? <laughs> also, it's better. Like, that's the thing. It's better than at least two songs that are on not just the bonus tracks, but the actual track list. So I wonder why she held on to it. Like, I know that Taylor, uh, this is her record. She obviously has a lot of say. But I wonder if there's like a, a, a cutting room floor where somebody else is like, girl, not this song, this song. Trust me. And she's like, okay. But sometimes they're not always right. Sometimes she was right all along. She has alluded recently, which I don't think we're ever going to get full tea on, um, that she had a lot of label disputes, like a lot of problems getting stuff cleared by the label. So I wonder if maybe that was just like one of the many spars they had. Because I believe Scott had quite a heavy hand in deciding what her album sounded like. You know, and I was actually thinking about this the other day when I was at work and there was nothing going on. I was sitting there and I was like, you know, it's really interesting to me that, you know, she made this whole fucking documentary and then at one point did she mention any of the shit that's going on. And I think it's because legally there's only so much that she can say. Because I'm, you're telling me that she's going to make this whole goddamn fucking documentary and not say a fucking word? At this point, Scott has a lot of dirt on her. So if she starts talking shit about him, I'm sure the shit that he could talk about her would be way more consequential to her because like nobody cares what Scott Borchetta did. But people will care if he says, Taylor didn't want to work with this artist. Taylor, Taylor didn't want to go to this show. Taylor didn't want to sell this song. You know what I mean? I, I know exactly what you mean. Because I was like thinking, I was like, well, what kind of dirt could he possibly have? And then I was like, that kind of shit. Yes, he does know that. So now that we're done with Red, after 84 years, October 24, 2012, the Begin Again music video comes out. He, it was directed by Philip Andelman, who, to note, also did Safe and Sound, which really makes sense to me, like aesthetically. Yeah. Very muted. Yeah, yeah. The color palettes were really the same. I loved this video. It was such a speak now, sir. The purple dress. She was a speak now, sir. November 1st, Taylor goes to the CMA Awards. This is when she starts to, uh, you know, ease her way out of country music. She wears an iconic nude gown with red lace detailing. I didn't love this one, but I didn't hate it. No, I think that it could have been a, a little bit more fitted, but on the whole, like, I love the, the lace detailing. I love red, you know, obviously. And then she performs Begin Again on a French cafe set. And this is actually one of my favorite televised performances of hers because she's sitting, so she's just singing. It's not a vocally challenging song. She looks gorgeous. The set is cute and she gets a standing ovation. So I thought that was a really successful TV appearance for her. It's actually, it really surprised me. Um, not to like, not to shit on it or anything, because you obviously you really like it. But I like, I was like, oh, oh yeah, let me, let me, let me refresh my memories. So I like, I like went on YouTube and I watched it, and I, and I was like, huh. <laughs> I, I, it's benign. It, I will it, say it's, it's benign. It's benign. You know, like it's not like, 
like you know serbs generation but like it's it's okay <laughs> she didn't win any awards but the yeehaw girlies needed a chance so it's good that she sat this one mm-hmm. out Mm-hmm. Um, so November 7th, she heads back to the UK. She's fucking all over the place. She heads back to the UK for a European promo tour. She goes on a Norwegian talk show. She films her performance at the Seine in Paris, that amazing set, uh, that acoustic set that she did on the riverboat where she just like sang her heart out and talked to the fans. That was cute. Yes. Um, yes. And in London, she emerges in public wearing, what do you think she's wearing around her neck, Madeline? I know what it is. I know it's the paper airplane necklace. <laughs> it is the paper airplane necklace, which she does again when she goes to Paris. So she's trying to tell us something. This is when she would communicate with us properly. This is a real Easter egg, my dude. Um, she goes on Chatty Man with Alan Carr. She talks about antique roadshow crickets because she basically acts like an old person. <laughs> Fucking crickets. Fucking crickets, you old ass bitch. <laughs> he jokes about her doing dubstep little does he know that i knew you were trouble is coming um she says she wrote we are never as catchy as possible to irritate her ex and she explains the story of how it happened in the studio which is where a guy comes in blah 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 and we hear i've heard that story like so many fucking times (laughs) about the guy coming in and him being a friend of jake's and her being like we are never getting back together and then so and she talks about not wanting to date people who have a serious issue with the paparazzi, which is fair. It's just, it's just like a Jake roast. Let's be honest with each other. I know. And a little, a little tidbit, a little fandom memory, memorabilia. Uh, this is the trip where she's leaving a radio station and she's going to go and say hi to her fans. And her bodyguard stands in front of her and she like whips around and like slaps him and goes, shut up. I can and then puts on a big smile and walks over to sign autographs. I mean, we gifted this to the hell and back. We were like, she loves us. We milked it. She looked really mad, though. It's just, as you said, it's interesting to see curtain up moments from Taylor. Like, just observing her being a human being. This is one of those moments where she was, like, talking to one of her employees that was doing something she didn't want them to do. So then on November 11, 2012, we get the Europe Music Video Awards. I did not like the dress that she wore to that. I thought it was weird. It was like a, ba- a bandeau. And she meets Lana Del Rey for the first and only time. Okay, yes. No, I totally agree with you. That dress is garbage. At this award show, we have an important moment. She performs We Are Never for the first time in the iconic ringleader jacket. I am so obsessed with that look. I'm so obsessed with it. That's the red era when I think of it. I've always loved that outfit. And it's so definitive of the era. So then on November 15th, she wears the iconic bowler's hat and performs State of Grace on the X Factor. And in a weird parallel universe, Khloe Kardashian is the host and Demi Lovato is a judge. (laughs) And they take a picture together backstage. Uh, This is before Demi reignited her many... Many tried one-time feud, one-sided feud with Taylor Swift. God, the fact that Taylor has, like, never said a word to her is really what gets me. The vocals on this performance, for me, uh, State of Grace is a hard song to sing. Doing it on TV was not a good idea. You know, and it always kind of is really embarrassing when she goes on, like, a singing competition show. (laughs) And she fucking can't, she can't land it. It's really embarrassing. Simon Simon Cowell is watching you, Taylor Swift. If he could judge you right now, what do you think he would say? Uh, but you know who accompanied her to rehearsals and watched the show? Do you know? Is it Harry Styles? Mm-hmm. He was there. So on November 18th, this is when all fucking hell breaks loose. Uh, everybody finds out that Taylor and Harry are dating. It is known. She goes to the AMAs. She's got her hair up and her bangs down. And she's in a long, uh, like a long sleeved, short, sparkly gown. Short dress, long sleeves. I don't like it. I do like her makeup and I like her hair. 
That's what I like. She wins country female. Katy Perry wins best female vocalist. They do not take a picture together. And Justin Bieber is artist of the year. Oh, to be in a time capsule in the year 2012. What was so important about this show is that she did her first televised performance of I Knew You Were Trouble. And I think this really ushered in pop star Taylor because she she gets on stage in her like little gown and then it gets ripped off and she looks like a bad bitch and she flips her hair and she sings and it's kind of scary, but I thought it was amazing. This was like the, the performance that I was like, you don't like Taylor Swift? Let me show you some motherfucking shit right now. And it's going to blow your fucking mind. And it did, it did. People were like, oh shit. Because people did not see her that way. They did not see her that way at all. To see her act that way on stage and to be doing shit like that was completely brand new. She was in a corset. She had her, all her arms out. I mean, We Are Never was cutesy. It was. It wasn't sexy. But this performance of I Knew You Were Trouble was like... When she steps on that guy's neck, <laughs> it's fucking crazy. I will never not love a quick change from her. This night, she trends worldwide, but not because of her performance, because she's dating Harry Styles. And so my eight months of hell begins. This was like, this was a really, you will only hear from veteran fans that this was a really fucking awful time to be a Taylor Swift fan because the entire world was shitting on her. First it was the Directioners and then everybody else chimed in. And it was, it, it wasn't 2016, but it was pretty fucking close. I, I don't know how quite to compare it to 2016 because they're both so different. This was really personal stuff. Like people... She was getting body shamed a lot. The big influx of slut shaming for her. It was kind of infuriating because I felt like, you know, this was coming off the heels of, of the album entitled Red. You know what I mean? Like this is fucking like her, her you know, in the eyes of the critics, not at the time, but now, obviously, um, uh, her best fucking record her magnum opus and all anybody could fucking talk about was that she was fucking dating the kid from one direction it was it was reductive it was in a way i almost want to use use the word like dehumanizing you know like demoralizing it, it just, just to just like boil her down to she dates too many boys and she's dating harry styles and i don't like her and she's an evil slut it's like okay oh maybe i'm maybe i'm the problem that kind of stuff everything she did was front fucking page this is when she became a tabloid fodder she'd never really been that before and then it was that the blank space story which is she's crazy she collects men she hides them in her house she traps them and then they leave her when really she was just a 22 year old girl dating like that's it that's really all it was. Also, a really huge reason of why Red never got recognized as her best record was because uh, a huge number of people weren't even fucking listening to it. <laughs> you know what I mean? They were just looking at this um, caricature. And I will say, I will say, Taylor fanned the flames, but if you corner someone, they're going to lash out. Like she did, she did a couple of things that did not make it better. But I really think it was like a caged animal. Like if you provoke someone long enough, they're just going to lash out. And she did, which we will get into next year. From November 19th to 25th, she films the I Knew You Were Trouble music video. And we get these candidates of her looking really scary. Um, I remember seeing those and being like, what the fuck is about to happen? Her hair was like short, which was traumatizing <laughs> for us at the time. It was dyed pink and she was in this tank top. And then she goes to Tokyo to promote Red and then to Australia to go to the ARIA Awards. Uh, and she performs I Knew Were Trouble with questionable vocals, but you know what? We're moving on. Uh, Trouble was confirmed as the third single on November 
27 and it peaked at number two. It went back up to number two and it was blocked by Bruno Mars locked out of heaven. Oh, yes. The Bruno Mars effect. <laughs> I actually did not know that. I mean, as she's, you know, gearing up to drop the video, December 2nd, 2012, Taylor goes for a walk, a simple walk in Central Park with a, uh, with a boy, Harry Styles. She holds a baby. She looks at some sea lions. I mean, those candas went fucking everywhere and everybody went crazy. I still, I can see them in my mind as <laughs> we're talking about them. I know. I, I can see every frame. <laughs> I was on the walk yeah. with them. Um, but then we get that awful video of Taylor and Harry getting into a car and these girls come up to them and they ask Harry for a picture and Taylor goes to get in the picture and they go, we don't want you in it. That's very, I mean, it's Makes just, my blood boil. You could have just sat there and let Taylor be in the picture and said not a word. The fact that you felt the need to be petty and mean is like, why? To her face as well. It's one thing to say something on the internet, but like. Right. This was like the time when like, I kind of had to familiarize myself with the One Directions going on because I mean, I wasn't a One Direction fan. I wasn't somebody that like actively hated them either. I wasn't on either end of the spectrum. I was in the middle. I didn't know a lot about them. I just knew they existed. So I had to kind of like learn like what the fandom was like and what these, 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 these uh, fucking hyenas. They were horrible. The fucking hyenas were like, and it was awful. And I wish <laughs> every day, every fucking day, I wish that it hadn't happened. <laughs> because of the mindless debates that we engaged in. I mean, we could have just ate our food, but it was possible because we weren't allowed to like Taylor in peace. People would come on our blogs and start calling Taylor a slut. That happened all the time. Directioners would like find our blogs and message us. You'd be sitting there reblogging your aesthetic and reblogging your Taylor gifs, and all of a sudden there'd be an anon in your ass box saying some shit about Taylor. It's like, who are you? You always knew it was a directioner. Let it be known. The Swifties are crazy, but we didn't give a rat's ass about her dating Harry Styles. Like, we really didn't care. Like, it was fun and interesting, but, like, we didn't give a shit. If you were, like, a One Direction fan, then you gave a shit. If you were a, a Swiftie and a directioner, you were like, fuck yeah. Otherwise, there was no opinion. I didn't have a fucking opinion. So December 3rd, the next day, she goes to an event with him. They go for karaoke with, Ta with Ed Sheeran. And the infamous photo of them doing the dirty dancing pose... Uh, is taken. And she arrives back at her hotel with Harry at 4 a.m. And what does he tweet the next day? This is kind of gross. He tweets, last night was the best thing I have ever done. I have got to say it with you, honestly, I've actually never thought about that tweet in that um, respect. So now that you've shown me the light on this, I'm thinking of it in that way and I don't like it. So on December 7th, Taylor is performing Everything Has Changed for the first time on stage with Ed Sheeran at the Jingle Ball. Mm. Uh, she served. <laughs> she wore red shorts this time instead of black shorts. Harry and Taylor canoodle off stage and are caught on camera. They then leave and take a red-eye flight to London. And the next few days are a fever dream. Taylor goes to England with Harry and dines out. She goes to Tesco. Um, she behaves like a normal person. Uh, and I found a story where these guys didn't recognize Taylor and they asked her to take a picture of them with Harry Styles, which is just outrageous. It is absolutely humiliating. She goes to the, <laughs> it's humiliating. She goes to the beach and plays with seagulls and we get a really gorgeous photo of her hugging a horse. Do you remember that photo? It's a really cute photo. I do, yeah. <laughs> I like December that 13th, Taylor's 23rd birthday. Henry Styles orders 23 <laughs> cupcakes from a local bakery and they went to the pub. They went to the pub. Oh my gosh. Why is that so funny? Why is that so funny? There are some candidates of her and Harry where she's holding this ugly purse and I will never forget them because someone fucking face swapped them. It's hard for me to forget. <laughs> 
Um, so then Harry goes to LA and he meets Andrea. There is actually a candid of Harry and Andrea together, which again feels like a fucking fever dream. That sounds fake. <laughs> sounds it distinctly looks fake, fake, but it's, it's real. real. <laughs> so on December 14th, the I Knew You Were Trouble video drops. And I will say, it was very inspired by Lana Del Rey's music video for Ride. The thing about that is that they have the same director. Well, I mean, he couldn't mix it up a little bit. <laughs> it was like a big deal. Everyone was like, oh, Taylor's just like copying Lana Del Rey. And she kind of was a little bit. She was, but I liked it. I absolutely loved it. It was a complete serve. And I, the thing about it is that at that time, she had never done such a thing. And I guess to this day, she still hasn't. It's kind of a standard. She's never done like an intro. This era was experimental. It was in different areas. What I didn't like about it was like the, the intro is really good. I love the intro. But then it goes into which I don't like. But I mean, what are you going to do? I love the last scene where she walks into the party and she's like being a bad bitch. She's not very good at acting like she's a bad bitch. But, you know, I, I played along. At first, I hated the monologue. I thought it was like, too much. Uh, but then when I listened to the words and it illuminated more things about Red for me, I really appreciated it. Like the, the worst part wasn't losing him, it was losing me. Then I was like, okay, T. That happens. We've got three singles in three months, which Miss Taylor could never fucking do for us now. December 21st, 2012, Taylor goes skiing in Utah. And I said in my notes, perhaps where Harrison hit the brakes too soon. Um, there's a really funny photo of Taylor looking ex extremely scared trying to ski. And then Harry goes to London and his chin is all fucked up. So it definitely is where he hit the brakes too soon, 20 stitches in a hospital room. That wasn't a big deal at the time because we didn't know. It's only our forensic combing of the history can we put together these little details. So we're going to wrap up the year on New Year's Eve. Taylor performs at the- This is such a nightmare. This is such a nightmare. <laughs> at Times Square. She performs Trouble and we are never, ever getting back together. And, you know, the song that she performed was Trouble and the vocals are troubling. <laughs> One of her worst. I'm telling you, New Year's Eve, it's like she starts the new year off with shit. Absolute horse shit every fucking year. She doesn't she know can't. how. And I get that it's hard to work with. Like, it's a very difficult setting to perform in. So don't do it. <laughs> exactly. And also, I would like to say, obviously, the red leather thing. I, I mean, total serve. She looks like a, I just don't even think she looked that good. I'm, I'm like... This is like a big roast night for me. I everything about it is a nightmare. The Harry Styles kiss is a fucking nightmare. The performance is a nightmare. The outfit's a nightmare. Nightmare. It's a, nightmare. It's a, it's a kiss. I can't even get into this. It's, that image is burned into my brain, and it's a fucking piece of shit, blurry image. And I think about it every day. <laughs> it's burned, and it's literally the back of her head. You can't even see her. It's just her blonde ass bangs, and it's like why lying against her shoulders. I mean, okay, for everybody that didn't that did, wasn't there, if you've been living under a rock. And New Year's Eve, after she did a horrible job of it's performing, bad. like really don't watch it, it sucks. She, and you can see it in her eyes as well that she knows it's going fucking badly. Oh, God. Uh, she, she gets off stage. She's cold. She holds hands with Harry Styles. The ball drops. He dips her and they kiss. And we have never been allowed to forget that. Never. Oh. No, they won't do it. Will not let us forget. And the thing is, it's looking at now. It's like, okay, yeah, she kissed her boyfriend on New Year's Eve, and so I mean, I guess that wraps up 2012. Yeah, that's the note that that's the note that we end 2012 on. 
So you can imagine what 2013 I mean, is going to serve us, and it's going to be a fucking nightmare. Yeah, please, everybody, just prepare yourself <laughs> just for the <laughs> firestorm of garbage that's about to come. Madeline, what's your uh, your summation of 2012 as a year? 2012, in my opinion, um, it is a landmark year in the Taylor Swift mm-hmm. uh, catalog. It is definitely... It's not 2016. It's definitely second, but it's still second. And that says a lot. (laughs) It's 2012 and then 2016. Two worst fucking years. Absolute nightmares. Absolute nightmares. Cannot believe that we live to tell the tale. I mean, and here we are, brave, standing shoulder to shoulder. Um, My thoughts on 2012 are, you know, the podcast is called The Evolution of a Snake. And this is a true evolution. It really was a, it was the moment that she, you know, kind of shed her snake skin and became a new person. (laughs) A new snake. But I think that musically, she really challenged her abilities and limits and pushed herself. If you enjoyed listening to this, uh, please remember it takes us a million years to uh, do this podcast. So subscribe to us on Apple Music, on iTunes, follow us on Spotify. Uh, tweet us, let us know what you thought, tweet the link to the podcast, uh, stay updated because we now have a lot of time. So we're probably going to, I mean, hopefully start recording a little bit more. Also, our Patreon is canceled because we cannot stick to a schedule. So that's over. But yeah, we will see you in the next episode. Bye.